0: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware & Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Bradyware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Bradyware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta per social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Um, so the topic we're going to discuss today is, should I pursue a workout for my business? And by workout, I don't mean uh, go to the gym and make your business buff somehow. I'm not sure how that would go, but there's probably a, a business coach out there that adopts that, that, that kind of branding, I suppose. <clears throat> but rather, frankly, kind of the other side. And you know, a workout is, um, in case you don't know, a workout is a process where um, <clears throat> you reach a point where you can't pay all of your bills in full on time. Um, and it's sort of, and we'll 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 get into the proper definition in a minute with our with our guest who's the expert. But it's 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 sort of this uh, this this in between land, if you will. of of financial health and uh, solvency on the one end of the spectrum and at the other spectrum, um, some sort of reorganization or, or liquidation. And unfortunately, excuse me, I suspect that this is a topic that is particularly uh, appropriate and timely and relevant. Um, We, we think as we record this in mid June that we think we're, coming to something that approximates a recovery. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, um, uh, you know, life is going to go on, but it's not necessarily going to go on for everybody in terms of businesses. Um, and it's not going to go on for everybody, at least as the way that they had hoped to or wanted to. <clears throat> and a workout is that is a process where, where, you, you try to kind of work things out I think that's probably the best way to 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 describe it and you know've I've assisted clients in a tangential way I don't want to position myself as an expert here on this because I am not um, but but you know I've, I have ridden shotgun sidecar with some clients on a on a workout process and uh, it's tough and it's tough because um, nobody likes it when you tell them that you can't pay them um, that's just, nobody's going to welcome that with open arms necessarily. And some of those conversations can be very unpleasant, uh, indeed. And, you know, a few people, I think, frankly, like telling you, telling somebody that I, I can't meet my commitment to you, uh, especially a financial commitment. And it really tests, frankly, um, it tests, it's going to test your own commitment to your own business in a lot of ways. Um, but but there's a, there are right ways to do a workout. There's a wrong way to do a workout, and there may be a point where a workout is not appropriate, right? You may be thinking you have to enter a workout too soon, um, and there are ways you can avoid that, and there are on the other end of the spectrum, you know, a workout is, is just going to be too little too late, and you need to look at things that are more options that are more drastic. And so helping us with this as our guest today is uh, my dear friend Tom Rosalind who is with a law firm called Bodker, Ramsey, Andrews, Winograd, and Wildstein. I always feel badly for anybody whose name comes after the first two because nobody ever says the final names after the first two. For example, my firm is Brady Ware and Schoenfeld. Nobody ever says Brady Ware and Schoenfeld. and I'm sure Schoenfeld is or was a very nice person, very capable, but for whatever reason, they sort of got screwed. So to... Uh, To miss Years, Andrews, Winograd, and Wildstein, Um, I'm sorry about that, but you'll have to work it out with your own own, uh, partners on that. But Tom represents domestic and international clients in a variety of industries and practices in the international corporate employment and business litigation areas. Tom has worked with and successfully handled a wide array of complex legal matters for individual and corporate clients. He extensively works with chief financial officers for many businesses, and he also supports the C-level community, both professionally and personally, as a mentor and as a networking resource. I'm I'm happy to personally attest to that. Tom is also the host and moderator of the International Business Radio Program on ProBusinessChannel.com. I did not know that. Uh, He's been holding out on me. And serves as chair of the international section of the Atlanta Bar Association. Early in his career, Tom has served as in-house counsel for ExxonMobil. Born as a first-generation American to a Swedish mother and Norwegian father, Tom now serves as the honorary consuls for both the Kingdom of Sweden and Kingdom of Norway in Georgia. Tom, thank you so much for coming on to the program. I'm tempted to try to do this in Swedish, but I'm not going to, so I'm just going to say welcome and thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you so much, Mike, for having me on the program. Excited to talk about the subject matters that are probably going to be uh, of, of consequence in the months ahead. And so, feel free to fire away with uh, what you think might be relevant to our audience.
0: So, here's a question I've, I've always wanted to ask you, and I never have. It has nothing to do with the topic whatsoever. Um, is there ever a conflict of being the honorary consul for both Sweden and Norway? Do they ever get like mad? They think you're like pro Norway, pro? Because those two countries have a, have a long history of smash-and-grab violence.
1: You're right about the history, but, uh, you know, thankfully Norway gets to award the Peace Prize every year in Oslo, and um, and there is actually a very cordial relationship now between the two governments. So Norway got its independence in 1905, and I think that the, uh, the, good, um, the good feelings that have come out of that um, are the current vibe. So, in fact, the opportunity to come uh, be consul for Norway uh, came after I was already appointed by Sweden, and the offer was related by my my uh, contact at the embassy, the Swedish embassy in Washington. She said, "Would you be interested in being a candidate?" Because the Norwegians had reached out to her, and I asked the same question you asked, which wouldn't that be a conflict? And basically, uh, she indicated that there was such a um, they have such overlapping interests and do so many things together that in fact that would not be a problem whatsoever. And in fact. She had already gotten approval from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Sweden and Stockholm to, um, you know, if I could work it out with Norwegians, go for it. So that, good question, but no problems these days.
0: All right, so um, let, let's clean up the mess I've already made describing what a workout is. So, what what is a, a workout? Was I even close in my definition at the introduction?
1: No, it's it's very good. You, you nailed it. I think there's there's a whole range of issues that come out with workouts, and and a workout can be Essentially, it's an alternative to bankruptcy. And in many ways, uh, the idea is that you get to an endpoint that is acceptable to both parties, but it's a process. And that's the point I want to emphasize, that it's so important that you come to it with eyes wide open. And to your point, Mike, that there, there are going to be uncomfortable conversations because no one likes to come back to a creditor or you know a, a counterparty that you owe money to and start talking about why you can't pay them in full or you can't pay them on time, but I think that the most important thing you can do earlier in the process is to be mindful of the moving parts, uh, being aware of what are the administrative requirements of that agreement or the contract, getting things mapped out, and being proactive and being being candid. I think the most important thing people come to the table with is their credibility, and the way to maintain that is to go ahead and be forthright and to be um, you know, be entirely candid about what is going on. There are other ways that this can be played, where if, if a workout comes into play, and there's already distress in the relationship, and there's already some level of, uh, you can call it recrimination, or just a dispute that's in the offing. There are other tactics that we can use to, to to come to the same end point. It's just, it depends on where you are in the cycle. And I think that the earlier you can identify the issue and call the question. The better off you are in many, many regards. I don't know if you
0: want to just elaborate. so. So, what's the difference? I mean, um, I think everybody struggles to pay bills at some point. What is that tipping point where you're not just struggling to pay bills, but you need to sort of take more dramatic action and start making kind of really hard and uncomfortable choices. What, what does that tipping point of that inflection point look like?
1: I think just based on your own historical experience, you know, we can talk about it uh, from the perspective of a business owner and operator, or somebody who has, you know, um, a high net worth individual has a lot of uh, obligations that are guarantee obligations. It's basically the same conversation or the same approach, but I think the tipping point, Mike, would be when you are no longer able to carry on as you are used to doing and expecting to do. Um, So if you are now in a different place that is making you uh, stay up at night and uh, it's different than what it has felt like in the past, um, your gut is telling you something that you need to be listening to. And I think it's at that point where you need to go ahead. And it may even be before your bills are at that point of being out of sorts or being out of order or not being paid. I think, that certainly will, you know, that will call the question when you're not paying or being able to pay. But if you can think ahead and and put wishful thinking aside and just say where things currently are for me and my business, I've not been there before and I'm looking at a wall of debt or obligations that are coming due. Um, I need to figure out what my plan B is. Um, that's the time where you've hit the tipping point. I think that's the easiest answer, or most straightforward answer.
0: Now, is there a? I'm I'm thinking, you know, um, is is there, a, is there a difference between, you know, look, I'm I'm probably going to pay bills a, co- a little bit late, but they're still going to get their money. Um, versus, I guess what you're describing is that you're looking ahead, and you're seeing, you're just seeing an avalanche. And it's not just that I'm going to be a few days late paying some bills, but, you know, probably many bills are going to wind up going into delinquency, I guess, if I don't get ahead of that. Is that a reasonable, a reasonable way to think about the decision? It's a reasonable way to
1: approach the decision. And also it, it, it touches upon the touching point, sorry, the, the tipping point, Mike, where is, is if you've got a handful of obligations, you know, maybe rent obligations or things like that, where with the current environment that we 're having a lot of uh, you know landlords are expressing some some leniency or willingness to to, to defer payments that 's one thing but when you actually have a stream of payment obligations to various of your vendors and your creditors that are coming due that are systemically you know from your perspective going to be a problem to to manage that 's where I think you have to have that bigger conversation so there 's just a you know, a one-off, you know, there may be a glitch where you've had a customer file bankruptcy on you or something where, um, you know, your cash flow is being affected by, um, you know, no, no, due to no fault of your own, but it is something you expect to surmount in the next few months. That's one set of issues and opportunities uh, and conversations. It's another one where you're looking at just a broader picture that may be driven by economic factors beyond your, your
0: control. You know, and let us let's let's drill down on that. Um, because I think there's potentially a really important point there. Are are all workouts created equal in terms of the conversation? What I mean by that is is are creditors are creditors going to react differently if they perceive that the reason for the workout is something that is is clearly an act of God, say a pandemic, we know that would never happen, right? Or murder hornets, um, versus, you know, simply you didn't manage your your business very well. Like it's clear that, it, it's clear that you just sort of screwed up or you were cavalier, right? Do 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 the do creditors want to hear the reason for the workout, or or do they immediately sort of generally say, "Well, now my my money is at is at stake. I really don't care about the answer." Um, yeah, and and now we kind of move forward. Ah, that's a that's an excellent point. I, I
1: do think that they care to know how you got there to the extent that helps them understand your perspective about how you expect to get out. So I think that they, they are interested in learning about the entrance point of, you know, to your problems and how long that's been going on. You know, nobody wants to just have their shoulder cried upon uh, as the basis for a negotiation or a discussion. I think though you do get sympathies with creditors where if you are you know again, if you've had a good payment history or a good working relationship, and that really is the driver of this conversation, right? If you have a quote relationship with that creditor and something comes up um, that's untoward and unexpected, you will get sympathy especially if you you know you've been doing all the right things and then something you know comes your way but if it is you know if you were basically sideswiped by an economic event such as what we're dealing with right now that's one thing you know they understand we're all you know sharing some version of those uh, pain points it's a question then of what are you going to articulate as a as a an approach To get out of that that ditch, so to speak, and and what can you you help them to map out with you? So how can you get them to support the vision, and then move forward from there? If if that is something um, that you have that opportunity to create a relationship, it's really hard to create a relationship with a creditor that you've had antagonisms with. You know, if there's been uh, you know uh, operational issues that have you know resulted in a lot of friction in the past, you know that goodwill factor is not really there, right? So In that situation, very often these kinds of things, uh, we joke about agreements, right? The best agreements are the ones that are written up and that you never have to look at. Um, And that means you've got a great relationship. But then if something goes south, everyone starts pulling out the papers and looking at the finer points in the documentation. And more and more attention will be focused on the finer points in the documentation, the more you're sideways in terms of that relationship. So I think if you've got a good relationship, very often creditors are willing to sort of look aside or, or not really focus on the language of the agreements. Um, if you don't have that goodwill, you're going to be starting to look at a bunch of paper and, tech, you know, and, and, and legal terms that will come into the conversation.
0: And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up too, because there's there's this concept out there, I believe, of of a technical default, which I understand means that, yeah, you're still paying your bills, but maybe you're required to have some sort of interest coverage ratio or, certain financial metric you're supposed to meet. So you're still meeting your, your cash payment obligation. But on the other hand, you're not maintaining a level of, of financially measured health as maybe your loan covenant or other covenants dictate, right? Is, is, is there a difference there too?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I mean, there, there is the, the, those situations where you are maybe servicing the obligation, but there are other events of technical default. There may be covenants that you're not complying with. It could be anything from insurance coverages to other, other duties uh, that come into the, into the relationship. And that's when you start getting into, you know, the creditor, you know, your counterparty saying, you know, we reserve all rights, you know, so we are, we are talking to you. Um but you know we reserve all our rights, and technically, this is to notify you. so if a creditor is wanting to keep its options open you know, and still work with you, they will send out a notice saying that you know under the provisions of that agreement, you are technically in default, and that that creditor reserves rights to pursue relief for that default um but you know at this point, any conversations will not be a waiver of those rights does Does that make any sense
0: yep it it does. So, um, so in that vein, I want. I'd like to get back in. I'd like to get into another. I think very potentially very important technical definition, which is the difference between a workout and a Chapter Eleven restructuring. Uh, we know Chapter Seven is game over, sell 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 everything off, and let people figure out how much they're going to get out of that. But Chapter Eleven sounds to me like a workout. Um, I th- it sounds to me like it has a, it has a number of things in in common with a workout, are they the same thing, or are there important distinctions between a workout and a Chapter 11 reorganization? Yes, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh,
1: the, the bankruptcy process in and of itself, and I, I cut my teeth when I started, you know, started practicing law, you know, dealing with credit issues and bankruptcy for a number of years, and I'm very familiar with that area. So uh, the bankruptcy provisions or the code Chapter 11 is basically, as you said, you know, a reorganization for a business, The problems with the Chapter 11 are the costs. They're they're very expensive. Um, There's the administrative oversight by the court. Uh, They also have the bankruptcy trustee. It's either a court-appointed trustee or the U.S. trustee's office uh, that, you know, they directly work for the the government. Um, You have a lot of reporting requirements in a bankruptcy. You are court-supervised. So any action that you would propose to do in a bankruptcy is going to be overseen by somebody, whether it's by the judge or by a trustee, but there is going to be a heavy level of reporting and accountability. And and the creditor also uh, may not necessarily appreciate having you in bankruptcy because there is this thing called the automatic stay, which basically prevents a creditor from unilaterally taking action to collect on a debt without the blessings or permission of the court. So, um, the, the outcomes of a chapter 11 could very, very much be the same, perhaps, uh, as a workout. So, for instance, in, in a chapter 11, you can actually have a company that restructures itself and, and recapitalizes itself and moves on. That's what we would call a successful chapter 11. You have also things called a liquidating uh, chapter 11, which is that bankruptcy essentially is a sale of assets that's court supervised with the doors open. The lights are still on. So you don't have a you know a garage sale, you don't have a fire sale, but you basically end up having creditors you know getting assets uh, of the company for distribution, or a purchaser would sell those assets. I'm sorry, a purchaser would buy those assets, and and creditors would get you know a portion of those those proceeds of the sale. Um, a workout is out of court. It's it's meant to be a it's meant to be a non judicial proceeding. It's meant to be uh, consensual. Um, there is no oversight process. Um, there are things such as what they call an assignment for benefit of creditors, which has some level, uh, of, of supervision or reporting to a court, but typically a workout is meant to be an independent thing that you are doing yourself, um, you know, with the creditors involved, uh, without other parties supervision, other than the relationships you have with the creditors or whatever deal you can structure, um, in the, under the circumstances,
0: so you bring up an interesting distinction, which I, I think uh, to mine, I think is one of the most important things, is is that when you declare bankruptcy, you are limiting the choices of your creditors, and at least temporarily, right, and their ability to act and and influence, and therefore it seems like that's a much more aggressive posture to take than initiating a workout initially, right? In a way, I, I guess there's a there's sort of a there's sort of a graduated a sort of graduated series of events potentially where you could you could I could certainly see a scenario under which you might start with a workout and then go into bankruptcy if the workout is not effective. But on the other hand, if you declare bankruptcy and then you say, oh never mind. <laughs> let's go back to a workout scenario. that's probably a lot harder to do since a, a, a bankruptcy basically slams a door in your, in your creditor's face.
1: Yeah. That, that's, is, is that, is that fair? That, that's an excellent point, Mike, which is, you know, filing a bankruptcy is sort of very often is the last uh, option that you want to pursue. Um, and so for me, when I advise clients in terms of their range of options, typically the, the end of the line is a bankruptcy. Um, there are cases though where it's very clear, um, based on the nature of the obligations and how much debt there is, and how big the business is, and what its prospects are, you know that the, you might come in knowing if you're a big enough company with enough assets and enough of a runway to actually have a successful outcome, and you can get what they call debtor in possession financing if you have your financing sources lined up. You know what the problems are. You're trying to go into sort of a one-off event that occurred. You have a you have a pathway and a game plan. You, know, you can follow a Chapter 11 and actually get a good outcome uh, if you think far enough ahead. They even have bankruptcies that are called prepackaged you know, Chapter 11s, which is you've already talked with your creditors. You've already worked things out with them. And you know there are things you can do in a bankruptcy that you can't do anywhere else. Like in a bankruptcy sales, you, know, you can sell certain assets with the permission of the court, what they call free and clear liens and encumbrances. So there are certain things where you know, if a creditor is wanting to accomplish even something in the nature of a workout, um, they might just say, we need you to do this, that, or the other, which may include a bankruptcy filing and the sale of those assets free and clear just to clean title up to those. But but to your point, Mike, you know, very often, typically, um, the, for me, when I go ahead and make a recommendation to a client about a bankruptcy, that is the last straw because you typically have very heavy-handed Supervision as we 've talked about, and there are tremendous amounts of administrative costs with professional fees and reporting requirements you have you know a monthly budget you have monthly expenses um, and all that takes a lot of time as a distraction to the process um, so going back to the idea of a workout, I think you know if you have the runway and the wherewithal to sit down and think about your, your strategy is and you can work it out with those creditors that creditor or those creditors outside of bankruptcy, it by far is, is, you know, is, is preferable. Um, but not always. There are times when it's apparent, evident, self-evident, that you need to do something more than a workout. I don't know if that answers the question.
0: No, it does. Um, so let's, let's, let's uh, fast forward a little bit or advance the ball a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a client. I've decided that I want to, or I need to place myself or start having workout conversations I walk into your office, say, Tom, you know, I'm in financial trouble. I don't think it rises to the level of bankruptcy yet, but I need to, I need to, frankly, work things out with my creditors. What are the, what are the, the immediate things I need to put on my to-do list? What, are, what are you telling me to do as, as my advisor?
1: Yeah, thanks for that. And that's exactly right. You know, when people come in, very often, and I have to share this that I've seen it again and again. Very often by the time people come my way, they are already what we call in the bunker. They already almost have a siege mentality. They are so, whatever, uh, beaten up or downtrodden, and they've gone so far down uh, negative alleyways with their their creditors that very often they come to me, unfortunately, later in the game than they should. But if I have the opportunity to help somebody, you know, it's not a, a blank slate, but at least it's certainly where there's there's an opportunity to make a difference. Uh, I would ask them to come in, and uh, before they even come in, you know, give me a one to two page summary, chronological summary of you know where how they got to where they are, uh, and, and keep it short and you know keep it succinct and concise. And then also, what's their what's their thought process about how they would you know propose to move on? What would be the thing that they would need to accomplish to turn things around? Now, if if they realize that it's too late in the game and their business is just so to speak, done for, if there is um, no obvious opportunity based on market conditions or where they are, then we can look at other things that would um, at least buy time would at least perhaps defer the obligation. So in that situation, you know, I can work with them and then be more focused on like, you know what, if we can't get a resolution in terms of getting you right-sized, then what we can at least talk about is mitigating your exposure. What can we do to mitigate your risks and your exposure with your creditors in a way that gives you a meaningful uh, outcome? And then that becomes uh, a conversation focused on enlightened self-interest with your creditors. How how can you show them to their satisfaction that, but, that they have an incentive or a reason uh, to play ball and that they will do better by working with you rather than you know, uh, then the alternatives. And, you know, and one of those alternatives I've seen is, you know, worst case you come to a creditor. And again, it depends how far down the road this thing has gone, but if it's pretty far off the rails already, um, you know, a creditor might say, well, I'm not really liking what you're telling me or I'm not buying it. And, and, and that comes down to them wanting to see your financial information, you know, so they will likely ask for some, uh, detailed financial information. And then, it's up to you whether you want to sort of tip your hand because they're going to look for what assets you've got, you know, and if there's a personal guarantee involved, you know there's all kinds of way to you know, all kinds of ways to skin this thing and, and to, to to consider it. But, you know they may want more information that you're comfortable in sharing, and maybe where you actually have access to uh, resources, you know that are not really your family. Um, you know it's not your money in your bank account, but you have uh, you know a father-in-law or a mother-in-law or some relative. Who could actually help, but they're not really on the line for any of this. So there, you know, there are times where, you know, it's appropriate to pour mouth yourself, even though you might be in a situation where, you know, if you know there's uh, an opportunity to be had, you might be able to tap those additional lines of credit, not informal lines of credit, uh, to see if you can, you know, turn things around with the creditor. But I, I, I think, you know, that creditor is going to be very focused on what you got. And they may want to have you know a lot more access to information than you're willing to share under the circumstances.
0: So it sounds like then one of the key one of the key items on that to do list is um, is have your financial documentation in order, right? And that and that may include some sort of forecast or projections as well, right? Because at some point they want to know what your plan to pay them back is. Um, do you think creditors care? If, if we, this is a blatantly self serving question, but it needs to be asked anyway. In your experience, do creditors care if you're working with, say, a CPA to put that information together?
1: They would. Does that help? I think in certain situations, you know, in, in terms of, you know, it depends on whether you're actually having a good faith negotiation with the creditor or you're, you're doing some version of, of uh, blind man's bluff. I think that in many situations, working with an accounting firm uh, and getting a financial professional involved to look at the, the numbers for the business is very helpful to the process, especially if if they the, you know the accounting firm or the financial professional can translate things in a way that's meaningful to a creditor that they would they would want to focus on. So I think there are absolutely appropriate times to actually have professionals help with that process. and and to me, you know I've done this long enough to appreciate that when people come in, and they want to schedule a meeting with me, I, I make it as a matter of course now a request that they actually, before the meeting, email me you know, confidentially that short summary of what's going on, because they can't bother to even sit down and, and, and put pencil to paper and, and help me with that thought process before they come into the office. They're not really invested in their own success. And, and I need somebody who's actually going to show that they have skin in the game. And going back to your point, Mike, I think having professionals involved is great. You know, the one thing that would come into play is, is if you're, if you're coming to a creditor and saying, you know, I'm broke um, they might just want to know, well, how did you get uh, a really good firm, you know, such as Brady Ware, (laughs) to to do, to do those things. Um, But that's that, that time, that place. But I think there's absolutely a role for financial professionals in this
0: process. And and, you know, that, that that leads into another question, which is, um, you know, in that advisor conversation, there's, there's actually a broader issue, which is, if, if I'm the company owner or I'm, or I'm the executive that's sort of somehow in charge of this for my company, it's got to be really tempting to see if I can find somebody else to just sort of have them take care of it. Right? I mean we'll, and we'll get to this in a second. but you know the conversations are, are, are not pleasant. They are humbling, they're humiliating. They, they may get heated, frankly. Um, uh, and so the temptation would be to, you know, hand it off to a subordinate. The temptation would be to, okay, Tom, I just need to work out. Here are my creditor's phone numbers and emails. Here are my financial documents. Here's my CPA's phone number. Go make it happen and then come back to me when you have the plan set up. Um, sounds great. Is that, is that a realistic process? Wow,
1: that, that's a fabulous uh, question slash observation. Um, and they are all different reasons for doing it different ways. I'll say, for the most part, offshoring and offloading that process to other folks is not necessarily. There are certain times where it is a good idea, but I think in general, you need to have the stakeholders, the the you know the chief executive, or certainly the C level people in the business, it, at least involved in some fashion, and to off offload it. Um, raises its own challenges. I will say that, for instance, what I typically recommend to a business owner or manager is that, you know what, let's not lawyer it up. Let's go ahead and let me help you with the conversation. So let me give you some guideposts and some discussion points. Let's go ahead and see what we can accomplish. And whether it's the owner or the manager or some senior person who has a relationship with that creditor actually starts trying to make things happen. Because for them to lawyer it up on the front end um, I'm going to be stuck dealing with the creditor's attorney cuz typically a creditor is going to get their attorney involved once the you know once I'm once I'm reaching out on behalf of my client to the business the, the creditor they're going to say okay fine you have got a lawyer I'm going to get a lawyer and then the rules are ethical rules are that the lawyers can't talk directly to the opposing party they actually have to go through the opposing party's uh, attorney, so it, you know, it becomes another layer of communications that may be appropriate under the circumstances. But I typically am not the one, unless unless my client, the you know who owes the money, is aggrieved. They were you know clearly taken advantage of, and and there is a reason to raise my hand as an attorney and and say, hey, you know we've got a problem here, at Houston. Um, I'm going to go and try and help um, the client, you know, work that conversation through, and then I will get you know I will eventually appear on the scene if necessary. And, but that, that's the typical way I'd recommend it. Now getting, uh, third party from, you know, financial professionals, um, again, it depends on how big a mess it is. And if in fact, the, the manager slash owner of the business that's in distress has lost all credibility, uh, you know, with that creditor, or, or, you know, then, then it certainly makes sense to bring in, uh, financial professionals who can help with that conversation or even the attorneys. Cause, nobody else is going to be listening, you know, that, that, that party owes that the obligation is um, persona non grata, then we have to find other ways to, to have that conversation.
0: So I don't know if that answers the question. It it, it does. Um, So now we've we've been talking a lot about, we've been using examples that heavily involve banks because that's sort of the classical workout posture, but a workout may involve other creditors as well, right? It's not you know, it's not just for breakfast anymore, not necessarily just for banks, right?
1: Absolutely. No, there, there are, you, you name it, there are, you know, so-called private banks. There are um, a lot of investors, you know, who, uh, you know, even though they may not uh, have documented the relationship as, as an equity investment, it's a loan, but there is a lot of money out there that's non-bank money um, that, uh, you know, clearly uh, plays into this process. And, Everyone has different motivations. Um, so when we talk about workouts and restructurings, not just that's not related to banks. Uh, very often, it's it's actually quite the opposite.
0: Um, but what about but, landlords?
1: Well, so yeah, landlords are almost any creditor, including your landlord. You know, is is somebody you could work with if done with a proper approach and come to a re, you know, resolution. So absolutely. The universe of creditors uh, includes everything from landlords to, uh, you know, trade creditors to vendors to, you name it, that are all non-bank, <laughs> and yeah. very often it's those things, those trade creditors and vendors that come in, you know, crash land on your your deck, uh, that are insisting on getting paid, and you know that becomes your pressure point. Um, so very very often the the banking process is the last thing that comes into play. You know, and, and and that may be triggered because then you're you are in violation of covenants, or you are not able to pay a certain loan with that bank based on these other creditor issues. So they may come into the mix, but that's not always you know where it starts. It goes any number of directions.
0: So um, let me let me. Add, I want to ask this then. You know, once once you kind of start these conversations, um, how do you how do you manage? can you manage emotions in the scenario? You know, you described, you know, with a, with, with a lot of depth, and I think this is important, is, you know, most people, frankly, if they're not sociopathic, it, when they walk in, they feel badly that they're defaulting on obligations, right? Um, you know, and, and they feel like they are a failure, their business is failing to some extent. Um, and they know you. You know you're going into a, into a situation where the, the 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 outcome of the phone call is that you're going to be disappointing somebody, right? How do you how do you manage the emotions of that conversation so that it doesn't spiral out of control and, and the emotions don't dominate the conversation as opposed to a a more constructive problem solving posture.
1: That is uh, again just spot on. I, I for me, uh, having done this long enough, you know, my role is not only to be an advocate, but to also actually be an advisor who manages the process in a positive way, in a proactive way, and also um, trying to take the emotion out of it. So when I communicate with my clients about how do we how do we respond to a creditor, how do we go ahead and have a, a communication with a creditor. I always tell them to be aware, you know, that really your audience think about this. If it goes south uh, and it becomes a litigation matter, then very often the communications, the correspondence and the documents that are being exchanged, right? Will become an exhibit, you know, in, in a court related matter. And, and so for me, you know, when I'm looking at the audience is not just the creditor, but who may end up being, you know, asked a second guess uh, who did the right thing or the wrong thing wrong thing in the moment, with regard to the debt at issue and, and what the process you know would look like uh, from an equitable perspective or a legal perspective, so that allows me to actually help the client think in a different way. They may want to shout at the moon, howl at the moon, uh, all those things vent you know, scream in, in, you know in a quiet place and all those things. But to get them to a place where they are in a better situation or a clearer uh, you know clearer posture. My goal is to, you know, is to sort of take the emotion out of it, and it it requires a lot of empathy on my part. So I think when clients understand that I am in their shoes and I'm actually thinking for them and con- very much concerned about it, and that I'm very tactically aware of what's going on in the moment, if I know where the traps are, the movie traps, and where they would likely get into some significant exposure, they know I'm taking that on they can almost transfer some of that stress and they still have the financial part of it, but when they understand that I'm thinking, you know, that process through for them and, and I'm their advocate, then they become a lot more clear headed that they can get out of the bunker and start helping me to envision the best pathway to have either an outcome that's acceptable or at least a a, a conversation or a pathway that is um, more productive than it would otherwise be.
0: So, you know, we, 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 we pick up the phone, you and I, you know, I come to your office. We have the speakerphone on, the door closed. We start making these phone calls that we didn't want to have, but we got to make them. Um, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, a workout seems to me what what you're really doing is you're going on a campaign to ask to ask people for something financial who have no obligation to give it to you, right? Um, what what are the most what are the most common concessions you see? Or the most common asks you see on behalf of creditors, in exchange for agreeing to a workout, to a workout program or a workout concession, you know whatever the proper term of art is. What 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 should I expect to have to give up in order to get what I want from my creditors? So
1: I think you know the the typical creditor right doesn't want to leave any money on the table. They 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 need to be convinced that it's in their own self interest to deal. So I, I've had situations where I've reached out to creditors, bank and non-bank creditors, and have said that my financial, you know, my client is in financial straits. You know, here's here's where we are, how we got there, here's what we're asking you to help us with, and then very often, you know, the things, Mike, that they are going, to the creditor will be asking for, you know, would be asking for, you know, financial statements. Uh, they may want a sworn financial statement, where basically you are under oath, you know, saying this is a true and correct summary of your financial condition. They may want to be asking if they're really, really you know, focused on things. They may want to know about, you know, what your assets are and where, if any transfers have occurred, uh, if a creditor's really, really, um, you know, uh, into it full tilt, they're going to go and do their own uh, search of real estate records, you know, just to see there has been any transfers, inter-family transfers of real or commercial property, just to see, you know, if you're, if you're poor mouthing yourself, um, you know, I think the, the, the problem is, it depends on how much the creditor already thinks it knows you. So the creditor thinks that you are a high net worth individual or that your company is doing very, very well. They're going to basically have a disconnect saying, how did, this, how did all this money go away? Why are we here? What can you share with me that actually gives me the creditor comfort to know you're not playing a game with me? Um, because that happens a lot, unfortunately. I mean, I don't I will never willingly or knowingly be a party to any of those things, but it happens. So I think the creditor has to actually be um, assured that you are actually speaking um, a truth that they can appreciate. And I think what a creditor you know, would want to know is um, either you've got a legitimate story to tell or you don't. And I think you know that's where it comes to you know very often my, I will say to a creditor, you know if we can't work this out, um, you know my client you know, may have to file bankruptcy. And, 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 you know, you will get less in the bankruptcy um, versus what we're trying to do under the circumstances. And, and I, I tell my clients that I represent in that situation, be aware, you know, be prepared for the possibility that that creditor might say, well, you know what, I'll take my chances, you know, file your bankruptcy because then I know I'll get a full disclosure. Again, that goes back to the whole idea in bankruptcy. You know, you do have a whole variety of tools a creditor has to get discovery as a matter of course um, that would require less work or more work. If this were a, a, a non-bankruptcy situation, there's a litigation matter for instance, right? And there's a lawsuit. Then the creditor has to actually do what they call discovery. You have to actually seek, you know, seek a production of documents and financial information. And in bankruptcy, it's almost as a matter of course, that you as the debtor in bankruptcy have to disclose a variety of information without that much effort on the part of a creditor to actually um, have that uh, required of you to stay, to stay in the bankruptcy proceeding. I don't know if that answers the question.
0: Well, it, it, it does, especially on the informational side. Now I want to approach this on the financial side too. It, it, in my experience, if, 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 if I ask for a workout, a creditor is going to ask for something in return to compensate me for, for going, something financially. And frankly, for what you just described, right, by initiating a workout, I have now just inflicted a series of expenses upon my creditor that they would rather have not spent, right? Whether it's legal fees, accounting fees, investigation, all that sort of thing, right? So in addition to the informational burden, can, can I expect to be asked to make concessions in terms of, uh, could, be, could be governance and oversight, maybe a board seat? Could it be Stricter lending covenants going forward? Could it be an increase in an in, in, in interest rate? Could it be some sort of equity position such as warrants, things? all of the above, none of the above. what what, what does that what can that look like on the financial side? Yeah, and the, the range of options
1: could be, to your point, all of the above or any of the above in terms of what a creditor could ask for because so what you're basically asking a creditor to do is go outside the terms of the document, right? The contract provides for this, that and the other you know what that script looks like. You know what the creditor can do under the circumstances. You're trying to convince the creditor that it's in their best interest, right, to, to come to a different outcome than what they would otherwise have expected and, and to show them that that is actually the best pathway for that creditor under the circumstances. So I think the, the it would very well, could very well be where a creditor would ask for more oversight, more financial reporting a, uh, a change in the covenants where there may be a trigger point. They may defer the debt, you know, a renegotiation of the debt. And so very often what they'll do is, is they'll defer, extend, renegotiate the debt. Um, but the new, their new version of reality is going to be a stricter one, which is you, you cross, you know, we move that whatever tripwire and we moved it down, you know, a few yards or a field down, down, down the way. But next time you hit it, you know, we're going to come at you for more. They might ask, for instance, for not only personal guarantees, they might ask for uh, collateral. They might say, what you got, what you got in terms of real estate, uh, what you got in terms of bank accounts. So they may want to have uh, a position where they're not going to be behind, that they will actually be in a better place and better prepared to collect on that debt if you still can't service it. So that's one of those situations where it's very important to talk to your attorney to confirm that they you know, that you as the person owing that debt are not digging a hole um, that is a worse outcome for you down the road than what you're currently, you know, dealing with is is uh, is the waterfront of issues. If that makes sense.
0: So, you know, in in your experience, I think I think kind of the one of the big kind of very high level questions is is whether is 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 whether it's worth entering a workout scenario at all from a perspective of. Is, is this one of these things where once you enter a workout, you're very unlikely to ever come out? Or, you know, is it possible that more companies than maybe the average person thinks, you know, if they do get creditors that are willing to, to plan and be constructive in the, uh, in the conversation, you know, do a lot of companies actually successfully exit the workout process and are able to, to put that behind them and ultimately thrive? Um, that that is, as in everything else, de- entirely dependent
1: on you know the the nature of the business, the nature of um, the dis- whatever dysfunction or the interruption that occurred that caused these problems to to take place. What's the vision looking like? It's a leadership question. I think a creditor wants to know. Okay, you got this. Is sort of like it's the same thing where it's in irony, but in bankruptcies, Chapter Eleven bankruptcies, the big ones, very very often the management team that's that's you know putting the company into bankruptcy seeks to get compensation or bonuses retention bonuses you know just to stay on board and keep the ship you know keep the lights on and keep the ship running and very often creditors shake their heads like let me get this straight you're the you're the management team that brought the company to the brink of bank bankruptcy and now you're asking to get special compensation and consideration for continuing to run the show and so i think that's the you know that's the same mindset or questions that come into play is like you know, if if you're trying to get a creditor to think differently about you then you need to have a story about why you're going to be able to do better than than what you've currently done. So they want to know a creditor wants to know who's the management team. Who are you bringing in? So maybe Mike to your point, you know one of the things that could change the conversation is like, you know, we don't trust, you know, your management because you have failed to do this that or the other. But if you bring in somebody who actually, um, you know, and again, it all depends on what the resources are and what the lay of the land is and what the, you know, the environment, you know, the, the business environment looks like for that particular company. But if you were just to say, you know what, we're going to bring in somebody else you know, who is uh, you know, an expert in this area to help us um, you know, come to a better place and that person has a track record, that might make a difference. They just need to know that you're changing, you're shifting the conversation and if you're not shifting the conversation how is it you're going to have a better outcome than what you've already got in hand
0: you know I, I picked something up out of that out of that response i want to i'm going to go back and highlight I, you, you don't necessarily have to comment but you're welcome to if you want to and that is that at the end of the day whether or not you emerge from the workout is heavily dependent upon whether or not you fix the conditions that led you to the workout in the first place right if you've got a lousy airplane and you get more runway. The airplane still isn't going to fly, right? It just has a longer runway to crash on, right? Bingo. And so, at the end of the day, if 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 you don't if you don't remediate the fundamental issue, right, then you're going to be right back where you started. And and the thing about the thing about workouts too, is 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 the client we hope is at a structural disadvantage. What I mean by that is is creditors are in workout conversations all the time as part of their job description, right? They'd rather not be there, but that's what they do for a living. A borrower you hope has never been in a workout scenario before. And so from an experiential standpoint, the client or the, the, the the borrower is actually taking a knife to a gunfight, right? The, the piece, the people with whom they're negotiating have, have likely seen it all before three different times and but but your client for example is is fumbling around in the dark with a blindfold on for a flashlight that has no batteries left in it right and and i think that i think that i think that makes a big difference in terms of what you're able to secure from this and then and then the 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 creditors are making a converse, are, are making a decision too if if i if i allow this company to continue the pay at, at the rate they're going there's not going to be any liquidation value either, right? So maybe we're better off kind of stopping the music and taking our chances and 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 getting in line at this point because if we wait, it just means there's going to be less there's going to be less available <laughs> when we go to the buffet to sort of get our serving, right? Right. Yeah. No, you, you nailed it. Um, so we're running out of time. We're, we're only getting through a fraction of the questions I had, with, which is typical, but but that's a good thing. Um, but one one I want to make sure we 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 hit on before we we get out is, um, you know, what are the specific no? That's not the question I want to ask. The question I want to ask is at a time like this, do borrowers maybe have a little bit more leverage than in a time say ninety days ago, and we thought everybody was hunky dory, roaring economy, et cetera, et cetera? Right? There's this 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 saying that. If you owe thousand dollars and can't pay, you're in trouble. If you owe a million dollars and can't pay, the bank's in trouble, right? Is is there a is there a sense in your part that maybe there's more leverage on the part of a borrower because creditors creditors maybe want to go the extra mile to just sort of keep things from going into delinquency. Is is that a fair statement? Yeah, you know, and and you know, it, it, we can talk about bankers
1: and lenders. You know, you know, the bankers have what they call the special assets department, right? Which is basically yeah. foreclose on the assets, and then they're stuck with disposing or managing or administering those assets to make, um, you know, lemonade out of those lemons. And I think, Mike, to your point, you know, how the current environment colors the conversation. Absolutely, right now. Um, The fact that you as a business operator are in distress and you actually have problems should come as no surprise to the vast majority of, you know, creditors, bankers, lenders, uh, and landlords that you're you're talking to. Then that comes back to the idea of, okay, so we understand maybe you got here because a lot of other reasons than even your own conduct. But how are you, going back to the storytelling, how are you going to articulate a vision of like, okay, so what do you need to do to get to a better place? and what do you want from me as a creditor how can i help you or what would that look like and then you know it might be one of those things where right now you know commercial landlords are looking at a lot of things that are you know not as rosy as it was just a few months ago right in terms of their forecasting in terms of rents to be collected and in and, and you know occupancy levels for and i'm looking at you know real estate there are many other aspects like this but but i think to your point you know this is a new opportunity to have a conversation so if you're not a repeat uh, you know, workout candidate. And this is, you know, this is your first rodeo or hopefully one of the first rodeos. You, know, you actually have a much better opportunity to uh, dig yourself out of a hole if you can come up with a game plan that is viable and actually holds water. So yeah, I think, you know, we're all in a different place than we were just a few months ago. That gives you a lot more uh, latitude. Um, with a lot less excuses than you would otherwise have to if this were just a, a flush economy and everybody's doing well uh, arguably and you're not then how did you get here i think that that now is a different concept you know what does well look like and how did you get here are two questions now that are more easily answered than they were just a few months ago so i you hope know, that that maybe is is the relevant point
0: So, Tom, um, lots of other things we could ask. And and then maybe some people may have other questions about, uh, unfortunately, bankruptcy or something else that's related to this. How can they contact you if they want to maybe go right to the horse's mouth and get some questions answered?
1: Sure. So they could email me at uh, Tom Rossland. So it's uh, Tom Rossland, R-O-S-S-E-L-A-N-D. And my email address is T Rossland, T-R-O-S-S-E-L-A-N-D, at law, I'll spell that B-R A W W L A W dot com. Or they can call me at 404-351-1615 extension one oh seven. And I am I am always available. So glad to help out in any way I can. But yeah, you know, for me, the differentiator is is being invested in the outcome and actually helping a client see their way through this process. And it is a process, but I think there is more opportunity for a good outcome now. Um, uh, you know, believe it or not, then it would have been just a few months ago considering, you know, where we're all in this conversation together. So I think there's going to be stuff happening. There's things that can be done. And, um, you know, I am, you know, and and, you know, my job is to be resourceful. So thank you for the opportunity, Mike. This was great. Um, I hope I covered some of the areas you wanted to address.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I know that we did. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Tom Rossland of Bodker Ramsey so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.